If you are into sustainability and cannabis, this show is for you. Hi, I'm Benjamin Douglas Ray, the creator and host of Sustainable Cannabis TV, a daily 30-minute interview show focused on sustainable practices within the cannabis industry. Sustainable Cannabis TV is designed to give listeners in-depth insights, knowledge, and stories of industry professionals who are positive impacting the world and making a difference. This show is brought to you by my line of organic hemp CBD products called 8 Saints Brand. THC-free creams, balms, and tinctures to ease joint pain, reduce anxiety, and help you sleep better. Check them out at 8SaintsBrand.com. It's uh, Benjamin Douglas Ray with another edition of Sustainable Cannabis TV. Uh, this show is brought to you by Eight Saints brand organic hemp CBD products, LinkedIn for leaders, and Bud's Feed. Check them out at the uh, URLs at the bottom of this page. Today I'm here with Shabazz Kara. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. So Shabazz is uh, one of the founding members of the Ontario Cannabis Policy Council. And uh, he, he also is a sales leader at Ducci. And right now, you are not in Ontario. So tell us where you are. Is that a virtual background or is that really where you are? <laughs> it's not a virtual background. That's a real, um, that's a real window behind me, a uh, real curtain behind me. I'm just playing. Uh, I'm actually in Costa Rica. Okay. Um, I got here a, a couple weeks ago and uh, kind of had to take a little bit of a break from uh, the lockdown, believe it or not. Um, I live downtown Toronto, and uh, working from home was fantastic. But I'm a real uh, energy guy, you know. Need some of the sun. It's getting real dark in Toronto, uh, so decided to come out here with a friend of mine who's also a sales leader at another organization, uh, and we've been working here uh, ever since. So a lot of surfing at 5:30 a.m. Uh, and uh, and hitting the phones and hitting the work uh, at around 7:30. And it's just it's uh, it's definitely been uh, it's definitely been good for my mental state for sure. Man, I'm so envious. It's, I'm I'm so envious. The the wind's blowing here and it's going to snow this weekend, which is beautiful, but at the same time, super envious. So, well, I'm happy to have you on the show. So tell us a bit about uh, what you've been up to and really what led you up to this point in your career. For sure. And again, uh, you know, I won't stop saying this, Ben, but thank you so much for having me on uh, on the show. I'm a big fan. Um, so for me, uh, I spent, I got really lucky coming out of school. I spent uh, seven years after school at uh, Salesforce, big CRM company uh, on the NASDAQ now, just acquired everyone's favorite tool, Slack, for a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so I learned a lot while I was there throughout the whole time I've been playing soccer. I was fortunate enough to actually co-found the Canadian beach soccer team uh, and be a player on it and uh, a captain for three years on that team. Um, and believe it or not, Canada beach soccer doesn't have a governing body in Canada. And so for me, um, you know, I, uh, I think there are four or five uh, global currencies and there's obviously more, but you know, uh, technology sales, um, cannabis, sports, and kindness are kind of the ones I live by. Mm. Um, and so, you know, for me uh, growing up, 
my family is originally from uh, East Africa, from Nairobi. My parents were born and raised there. My brother's born there. Um, I was born here, but really got raised to those uh, Indian, kind of East African uh, roots. So my parents speak Swahili, my parents speak Gujarati and English. Uh, and so cannabis growing up for me was a no-no. It was religion, it was sports, uh, and it was education. Um, and, and believe it or not, you know, alcohol was, you know, a big theme. You know, my dad was a professional cricket player. So, you know, after big wins, definitely some parties, things like that. But, you know, as I was growing up, um, you know, it wasn't until I was about 18, 19 years old, I learned a little bit more about cannabis and started to experiment with cannabis in sports. Um, but even after school, even after playing uh, a high level of soccer for my whole life, I could never tell anyone that I uh, was consuming cannabis. You know, we'd be at Salesforce parties, everyone would be drinking. Um, but, you know, if you went outside to for smoke, uh, you'd have to hide it. Or for vape, you'd have to hide it. And then uh, about two and a half years ago, I got approached uh, with a, a role that I just absolutely couldn't turn down. Uh, it was as the head of sales at Lift & Co, um, which was one of the pioneers of the cannabis industry. Yeah. Uh, we threw big, Ben, you, you came to our trade shows, right? Yeah, I came there last year. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, so we threw a bunch of different trade shows, and uh, and then as I was coming on board, it was I'll never forget this day. It was September fourth, two thousand eighteen. It was uh, two months before, I guess, a month and a half before legalization, and uh, my mandate was, hey, uh, you have a really junior sales team, so you have to train them. Number two, uh, we're about to monetize three new products, so figure out what that looks like. Uh, number three, um, you know, cannabis is about to be legalized. Um, so what does that even mean? Because you know, coming out of Salesforce. I worked with manufacturing companies, high tech companies, uh, media and communications companies, but I was selling a B2B platform. I didn't know the CPG space. I didn't know how a bar of soap got on uh, a shelf, believe it or not. I always took that for granted. As silly and as vulnerable as that is to say, I'm proud of it because it made me you know, learn from the ground up. Uh, and then fourth was, you know, we're also going public. Uh, that was the time when there was a lot of capital in the space being thrown around by a lot of investors. It seemed like everyone was going public in the cannabis space. Uh, and so that was kind of my onboarding. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward uh, a year and a half, I got to learn a lot uh, in the cannabis space, build a lot. Uh, you know, the cannabis space is uh, exponentially expanding, as I'm sure everyone watching this knows. Um, and to see it from the ground floor, I just couldn't take that. Uh, I, I just couldn't resist that because it's like, when do you get to help build an industry? Uh, again, you know, think about alcohol 90 years ago, prohibition and all the things that came with it, brand power, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, policy, um, how, you know, alcohol spread all over the world and how it's so normalized. Um, I really feel that, you know, cannabis has a uh, a large um, power um, associated with it that's very untapped and very unknown, especially when you look at like big pharmaceuticals and all of these different things around opioids and all this sort of stuff. And so uh, I was at your Lifted Co for about a year and a half. Uh, and then um, luckily, somehow through some stroke of luck, I met Ross Lipson, who I think is an absolute genius. Uh, he's the co-founder uh, of Dutchie with his brother, Zach Lipson. Uh, and they were looking for someone to help lead their Canadian team and their Canadian expansion. And uh, recognizing that coronavirus uh, was on the forefront uh, and e-commerce was something that was about to blow up, uh, I jumped on board to Dutchie and uh, you know have been there at, uh, for the last 10, 11 months helping build a uh, team in Canada. And uh, it's been an incredible, incredible experience. So that's where we are here today. And then uh, to the last point, I got lucky through Dutchie. Again, lots of luck in my life. Um, <laughs> 
to join the uh, Ontario Cannabis Policy Council uh, and provide a little bit of a different view, not only from you know an e-commerce perspective uh, and an analytics perspective as it relates to like curbside delivery, pickup, all that sort of stuff, but really want to provide a, a, a fresh look at kind of what our generation, you know, my generation, the next uh, generation of leaders is looking to provide. And, you know, a lot of those things, um, you know, uh, need to be talked about in government. And I didn't have that kind of legislative government experience. So it's been a big learning experience for me. But ultimately, if we can, if I can learn that and kind of be part of the, the play to, you know, even uh, have things like uh, consumption lounges in Canada and all that sort of stuff, um, then it's, uh, it's a big win. So I've been learning lots. And I think that's the theme of my life constantly you know, learning uh, better, better, never best. It's a, it's a great background, an incredible story. You know, I'm thinking about the technology and how things have changed. You know, you mentioned that in terms of Dutchy and, you know, looking at new things for the, the Policy Council. Can you talk about technology and how you can leverage that throughout 2021 and, and farther to get stuff done? Absolutely. So I think the the biggest thing uh, for this industry is that it's hyper fragmented um, because of the differences in uh, regulations around things like incentivization or even how brands can advertise, how retailers can advertise to end consumers, um, how uh, bud tenders become this ultimate um, kind of tipping point where, you know, they're almost like transformers where a brand can tell them information because the brand can't tell the consumer that information. Uh, directly through traditional means of advertising, um, there becomes uh, innately different information handoffs. And so as a result, um, to kind of keep track and balance all of these different information handoffs, you need uh, different technology in your technology stack, um, whether that's a brand coming uh, and learning about, you know, data right now in uh, in, in grocery and in CPG and uh, alcohol, tobacco, you have years and years and years and years and years of Nielsen data that you can refer back to and look at. Um, whereas in cannabis, because it's so new and you compile that with the regulations and you compile that with the fact that there hasn't necessarily been that much consolidation just yet. I mean, we're starting to see it. Um, there's lots of different companies. So the question then becomes is not only where do I get information from and how do I you know, disseminate, aggregate, and actually utilize that information, but how do I put it um, in a place where you know all the information can kind of come together? Um, and so the technology stack in cannabis today is going to continue to grow. I saw a infographic the other day on uh, technology and cannabis, and it's wild to see the amount of technology companies uh, in this space who are doing things from you know loyalty to crm to e-commerce to delivery to all sorts of different things and so technology um, needs to be embraced in this space because some of these technology companies because of the data they accumulate are going to be some of the highest valued companies and are only going to continue to grow uh, and so because of this fragmentation it's kind of like technologies the sandwich in between you know the retailers the brands and the licensed producers, uh, the MSOs, and uh, of course, you know, the ultimate goal, which is consumers. So you're not just talking about the ability to buy something online through an e-commerce. You're talking about all the ancillary services that can leverage technology to greatly advance uh, the industry and make it easier for everyone involved all the way through the supply chain. 
Ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes I'll be on the phone with brands in my previous role and I'll say, who's your, you know, who's your biggest competitor? And they'll say, you know, everyone's our biggest competitor. And that would kind of make me, uh, make me cringe because everyone can't be your competitor because you need to play in different segments and you need to have uh, different places where you delight your customer. Um, and as a result, um, that's what's going to help you drive your value proposition. However, if you don't have the data uh, because there's no data in the space or because that data is so fragmented to even know that, well, then you're not at fault, right? So um, how do you make those decisions all the way from, you know, in the boardroom with the brand to, you know, pushing that information out to, you know, the provincial body. So here in Ontario, uh, you know, you have to, the way it works is your brand, you sell to the Ontario cannabis store. And then the Ontario cannabis store is also, is as well as a retailer, they're a wholesaler to um, the retailers. Retailers buy from the Ontario cannabis store and then, you know, push that, uh, push those products and things like that to um, the consumers. And there's so many different touch points that have to happen there. And technology is the way in which to, you know, you know, really make sure that you're you're taking advantage of that. But then also, you know, if I'm a consumer and I buy, um, Ben, you said it, like I'm, I'm buying online, um, but then how do I continue to drive that basket size? How do I continue to get different recommendations? How do I continue to understand what my um, my cannabis profile is and how do, how do you as a retailer continue to push that envelope and even not necessarily incentivize because you can't really say that in Canada, but how do you help evangelize um, that cannabis brand Brand, that cannabis retailer brand um, through things like loyalty, through things like you know customer relationship management, um, through things like HubSpot and my personal favorite Salesforce. Um, so there's a lot of different technologies out there and a lot of different technology touch points um, because the flow of information again is so fragmented. You know, you you you, you touched on something a second ago about uh, brands and the boardroom. And we know how important it is to develop that emotional bond, you know, with with the end consumer between the brands. And Seth Godin talks a lot about tribes and the the validity of that and the importance that that means everything. And you kind of alluded to that a little bit. What what are your thoughts on on brands and how they absolutely must do that, or or do they need to do to actually drive forward? Absolutely. So I'm I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. Um, I'm recently, uh, I'm in the midst of reading uh, 11 Rings by um, Phil Jackson, um, you know, former uh, NBA coach of the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan era, Kobe Bryant era, won a couple of rings himself, you know, with the New York Knicks. He talks a lot about tribes and this isn't something that I used to think about often. You know, why do you buy the things that you buy? I'll use Sephora as a prime example. I mean, I am not even a Sephora. I don't use anything from Sephora. I mean, I know it doesn't necessarily look like it, but this is, you know, I'm not wearing any, I'm not wearing any makeup right now. Um, but Sephora has brought me into their tribe big time. I know for any type of um, purchase I need to make for a significant other, my mom, my aunt, whomever, I can go to Sephora and they'll have my back. They'll help educate me because I know their staff is trained and they have to take certain certifications. I know that they're always trying new things through their Sephora Innovation Lab um, so that you know, anytime I need something, I know that I can just go there completely vulnerable and ask for some information and they can help me out. In today's world, in, in, in cannabis especially, um, is you know alongside the rise of coronavirus um, it's going to be about um, how you build 
your tribe and how you elicit emotional responses from your tribe and continue to help them think bigger, run faster, um, you know, get stronger. Um, and that's what it is. But brands can no longer be just, you know, surface level brands. Um, it's, you know, you look at kind of the, the Louis Vuittons and the Gucci's mm-hmm. and all those things. I mean, what what are they doing to, to add value? And for so long, those brands existed um, as premium brands and things like that. So I think we'll start to see a new rise of premium brands based on how they, again, elicit those emotions and make you a better human and allow you to grow in your own realm. I mean, you know, you look at, uh, for instance, Ontario right now, there's a patch of Ontario. Ben, you, you came to uh, Toronto. You remember Queen Street? I don't know if yeah. you went to, yeah, Queen West. Yeah. Queen, West has, Queen West has 30 stores on it right now. Uh, so I can go to one cannabis store, I can walk out, I can walk two feet, I can go into another cannabis store. So how am I as a consumer coming into cannabis? Let's take my mom for an instance. I always bring her up in these cannabis conversations, but how is she supposed to know mm-hmm. um, which store right. to go to, what brand to buy? And it's about how that you know store and brand helps her think, helps her feel, um, and really you know who's part of of her tribe. So I think building tribes um, is going to be the biggest thing, and I think that goes back to you know it's not only about your your reach that you have, it's how engaged um, that audience really is with the things that you're trying to you know build, spit out. Because the best part about that is if you're a brand and you make a mistake, that's okay because your tribe knows that you've provided them with so much value for so long um, that you can, you know, experiment with those certain things and so on and so forth. You know, I, I liked uh, the Queen Street uh, example, Queen Street Rest, West, you know, I went into Honeybee and the first, right when you walk into that dispensary, that store, you get a good feeling, you know, it's very welcoming, it's not intimidating. So even if you're bringing in, you know, somebody who's never been in there, a grandparent, a, a mom, somebody like that, it's very welcoming. And that, that aspect that you're talking about is, is absolutely needed to create that bond, whether that's online or in person. But I, I had a great experience there. And I would say that the, the brands that understand that all the way through, all through the touch points are going to build those, those tribes in there. And they're going to be the ones who succeed in the long run because they're going to build that, that kind of brand affinity, their brand affinity and that brand loyalty. And I, and I also, um, you know, wanted to say that if it's a Louis Vuitton or Cartier or something, premium now just doesn't mean expensive. Premium mm-hmm. can be just quality. It's how you talk to your customers. It's a, it is that bond. So I agree with you. There's going to be a whole nother wave of premium that become luxury, but it doesn't mean they're the most expensive on the shelf. Yeah. And one thing I'll add to that is that's the reason I love working at Dutchie so much. Shameless plug, but um, I have to say because what Dutchie really seeks to add is a uniformity across the brand touch points, like you mentioned just now. Um, Not only physical retail, but how those touch points um, actually scale across the digital realm. Um, A small example is, you know, being able to empower your staff with uh, digital permissions to do certain things uh, and mirror those physical permissions, right? Um, Another example is, you know, just the subtleties and brand tone and colors that you can add onto the platform so that it's, you know, we see a lot of retailers who, you know, have this great, beautiful Apple iPhone store, um, but then they don't put any focus on their online uh, brand. All of a sudden, a thing like Corona hits, um, and you know it's yes it's a once in a lifetime hopefully uh, type of um, uh, catastrophic event but 
simultaneously, you know, you need to be prepared. You need to be thinking of your brand in uniformity, um, not just in pieces. Because if you lose that customer on one touch point, um, the market's too saturated and that customer is going to go somewhere else. And we all know that it's, you know, seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to retain one. Um, and so it's it's a challenge right now, but you got to kind of look at it in, in the strategic, holistic kind of macro lens versus just, you know, individual touch points. You know, what it's done, what coronavirus has done is forced companies to be more innovative and look at things from different perspective. They can't say, I'm putting everything into e-commerce. I'm putting everything into the design of the store. It's all the way through exactly like you said. And so the companies now that really think about that, leveraging technology in a way that's going to be able to, uh, you know, utilize those touch points and drive those forward are going to be the ones that are going to succeed through this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, one more thing to add, which I think is highly, highly important now, are that the executives of these organizations, the leaders of these organizations have to be front facing because in essence, they're the ones building and driving the strategic narrative. And that means leveraging technology um, to do that. That means, you know, podcasting, that means, you know, uh, different content, that means um, all sorts of different things. So, you know, I uh, just hammer home the statement that, you know, leaders need to also be part of this and also need to be on the forefront um, of understanding technology, but also um, empowering their staff to know how to buy technology, which we see is a huge gap because personally I had sold technology for seven years. I had never bought it. And that's two different things completely. Right. right. You know, that that's a good point. I think that all of the specifically publicly traded companies, the CEOs can utilize um, you know, all the social media for their investor relations, you know, investors want to know what's going on. You don't want to just read a headline, you know, yeah. in the publication, you want to know what's going on, the story, the motivation behind it. And I 100% agree with you that they need to get out uh, front and center and really talk about what's going on in the company, because that's what makes people excited on the investor relations side. The CEO talking about where they're going is a way from the board level to really uh, mobilize that tribe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, perfect example is uh, Elon Musk. He's so front facing, right? Love him or hate him. Uh, he, his company is one of the most valued companies in the world. And he's a huge driver of that. You know, the other day he said that more leaders should get out from out of the boardrooms and get into the nitty gritty of the products and, and all that sort of stuff. And I thought that was fantastic. I mean, here you have a billionaire um, who created incredible products, incredible solutions for the world um, saying that. So it was just, it was beautiful to see. And, you know, I mean, that, that was, that it was even amplified when he launched his Tesla tequila uh, in a matter of yeah. minutes, it sold out. <laughs> right. I know, it was an amazing, amazing engine there. So I want to talk to you about sports. You know, I, I had uh, Zach Green the other day on, and he was talking about sports in golf and how that's kind of up and coming with Tiger Woods. And I mentioned, you know, Bubba Watson, you know, with the CBD line, stuff like that. How do you see sports now with your generation, you know, up and coming as a leader, how will you see the future of that? Because for, for me, there was no way that we could even talk about that when I was growing up in sports. So I'd love to know your perspective and where you see it going. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you asking. Sports and cannabis is definitely a passion of mine. Um, it's something that I've been trying to preach for years, but kind of under the radar. Um, you know, uh, for the Canadian beach soccer team, um, I'll give you one example. We went to Italy. Uh, it was the first year I got to captain the team and we were about to play France uh, in one of the round robin games on the beach in the sand in front of 7,000 people. And I was pretty nervous. Um, and, you know, my uh, one of my teammates, he um, don't tell anyone this, but he snuck in a vape pen. Um, and, uh, well, the world knows now, right? <laughs> 
Um, and you know, I, I, I had a chance to take a, a, a little bit of uh, a pull on that bay pen. And it really, you know, obviously depends on kind of what's, you know, what's the distal in there and a variety of different things, but it, you know, it was able to help me focus and, you know, um, really calm down my nerves. I use cannabis all the time, uh, pregame for those, you know, who, who know me or who will get to know me, um, a lot in some, you know, rec leagues and things like that just for creativity. Um, mm -hmm. I use cannabis for recovery, um, all sorts of different things. And so for me, Again, like I mentioned, my dad was a professional cricket player. Uh, cannabis was an absolute no-no. It wasn't even talked about in Kenya, um, and and it wasn't something that was even you know um, you know you could you, you could even purchase. Um, and so fast forward all these years, it's you know something that I've been trying to preach, something that you know the world is recognizing. And so the other day, well, not the other day, a couple of weeks ago, seems like the other day because you know we're living in this remote world. But a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to interview um, Elias Theodoro. Uh, as well, uh, who's a who's a first uh, cannabis MMA uh, athlete, um, and uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Justin Rothsberger, um, who used to be a, a doctor in the NHL. And the common theme uh, around that centered on the fact that uh, you know cannabis in sports is very very misunderstood, and there's not enough research um, around it. But you know there is um, movements being made in the MLB, the NBA, and the UFC, of course, um, to uh, um, you know, get that off the drug, uh, the scheduled uh, drug classification list. Um, but also it's centered on the fact that, you know, opioids are a real problem uh, mm. in sports. Um, both of them talked about the fact that, you know, for recovery, um, you know, Elias and, and Justin, you know, were saying that for recovery, um, you know, athletes would be taking uh, op opioids, but because they were so addictive and because they were so, um, so they had such a bad effect on your body, then all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to um, kind of almost uh, pull back and, and use, you know, like alcohol and all these different things just so you can kind of wean off the addiction. And, you know, those the, the opioid piece of this is, is the biggest key um, mm. to all this. And so, but there's, you know, big pharma involved in all these sports teams and doctors aren't necessarily allowed to prescribe cannabis. And so I think that 2021, I'd love to see this be the year that cannabis and sports actually comes uh, into play at the forefront. There's a reason the NBA, the MLB, um, and the UFC are all taking measures, uh, you know, against this to, to support more research. Um, but I think, obviously, like I just mentioned, that big pharmaceutical play is is it's intertwined in all of this, and so it's challenging. Um, but you look at a guy like Bubba Watson with his CBD line; it's fantastic. The thing I'd be super weary about Ben is that. CBD just seems to kind of be a buzzword sometimes, right? Because, you know, yeah. depending on your milligrams, depending on, you know, your use case, depending on um, a whole variety of different factors, you know, it could just be, you know, something that works, something that doesn't work, whatever the case is, if not taken in an appropriate manner, um, consumed in the right way, you know, is the CBD topical? Is it a tincture? Like, what is it kind of thing, right? And so I think a lot more research needs to come into play, but I'm happy to see that the world is turning um, their eyes on, you know, Weed Maps just sponsored the uh, uh, Mike Tyson fight a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, which was astounding. So I think as the world wakes up and the first movers um, to this uh, in terms of sponsorships and things like that would be absolutely key. One more thing I'll say before I pause is, you know, it blows my mind now knowing the effects of how detrimental alcohol is that, you know, uh, there's sports commercials with, you know, beers associated with yeah. it. Um, or anything like that. So um, I'm really happy the world is waking up and I'd love to see more research and more normalization and acceptance uh, in this, in this you know, regard in sports. 
you know, it's interesting. I've been, you know, through, throughout coronavirus, we watched a lot of basketball. We, we watched, you know, with my 10-year-old son, we watched my family. We watched all the basketball. You know, we're watching every single football game because, we you know, we're around and it's, a, you know, it's fun to watch together. And every single commercial on most of those is for, like, chips or beer or pain medication. Every yeah. single one, you know, and that's where the, the sponsorship dollars go, you know, for Bud Light, you know, Coors Light. I'm not knocking alcohol. I'm just saying that it is interesting that everything is going towards kind of a numbing style, you know, uh, through these sports. And I think there is a direct correlation there between getting hurt and then you just ease the pain with alcohol or opioids. Absolutely, for sure. So if, so if cannabis can provide preventive medicine, either for stretching, calming, whatever that is, I see there's a huge opportunity for that. Once it becomes not not the stigma around, oh, we don't we don't do that here because it's federally illegal. There's going to be some some big changes and less injuries because of it. Absolutely. And in, in, uh, the last the last half marathon I ran, I've been experimenting a lot with uh, cannabis and sports in a variety of ways. But the last half marathon I ran, um, I smoked a joint right at the starting line. Um, hadn't hadn't really stretched, hadn't really trained, but ran one of my best times ever. Um, and not saying that's completely attributable to cannabis. You know, go smoke cannabis, you'll run good times at marathons or anything like that. It's um, the focus, the mindset, the creativity, um, the meditative experience that I was able to gain from it. Um, you know, it all plays into it so i'm really excited to not only drive this forward and um be part of it but you know also see kind of the world change and ben let me ask you man are you are you a raptors fan because that's the only team that's worth really watching so yeah i mean yeah i, I am <laughs> i mean i can't say more than the nuggets but i like the raptors <laughs> awesome awesome good yeah 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 so uh but i but i do have a hat that i wear almost every day here raptors hat so. Okay, cool. We'll uh, we'll get you some more gear. Don't don't worry. We'll okay. get you some more gear. <laughs> right. So, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way? I mean, I, I I love what you have to say, and we should pick up the conversation another time. But uh, for now, how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you more? Sure. Uh, a couple ways. Um, number one, uh, the two best ways to reach me, strangely enough, are LinkedIn and WhatsApp. Um, so happy to talk to anyone whenever. LinkedIn uh, message me. Um, you know, tr try and try and message me. You know, if you want to sell me something or try and sell me something, maybe do it in the second or third conversation. Of course. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn message me, um, whatever you'd like, uh, always available and always open to chatting. I also have a YouTube channel. I'll send you the link to, um, that, uh, you know, I post a lot of content. Hopefully, you know, I can get some snippets of this content and we can post it on there. Uh, really trying to kind of drive, uh, that a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's a LinkedIn. Uh, definitely the YouTube page. If anyone's interested in content, if anyone's interested in that CBD uh, slash, you know, opioid conversation I had with uh, Eli Elias and Justin that I mentioned, um, that's recorded. That's on there with a whole other uh, host of things. And you know, um, happy to always give out my cell phone number and WhatsApp me. Um, it's super easy uh, for those of you who are listening. Uh, one six four seven eight two four five nine seven nine. Um, if I can uh, answer and, and and have the bandwidth, I always will. Always looking to start conversations. I think good people um, make this industry go round, and that's the only way we grow is together and be you know build a tribe, build a community. So um, yeah, if if any of those work, uh, definitely those are the best ways to connect with me. That's awesome. You know, I we could have a whole nother show on the sports, but I do want to bring up a couple questions here if you've got a couple more minutes here uh yeah absolutely. you know this is from david gonzalez you're smoking before your race 
Um, and then this question here, is it hard to light while you're running? I think, you know, that, that, that may have been kind of a, you know, kind of a you know, joke there. But I do want to ask you about lung capacity. So I've heard that, you know, if people are, are you know, heavy, heavy smokers of cannabis, that actually athletes increases their lung capacity so that you are stronger, you know, on the pitch or in a race or anything like that. What, what's your thought around that? You know, it's it's something that I've been uh, learning a little bit more on, and um, from the research I've seen, it it actually, you know, I've seen that it actually does increase lung capacity. Um, I'm surfing every day here. Um, I run a lot. You know, I can pick up run 10k. I don't smoke any cigarettes. I've never smoked any cigarettes, um, but I do consume a lot of cannabis. My primary method of consuming, still to this day, is joints. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to change, um, and so. I'd love some more research on there, but, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I'm lucky my lungs feel like they're in good shape, never wheezing, never anything. Um, and, you know, I, I run with, you know, some good athletes, some athletes who train constantly. You know, I have guys on my soccer team, on the beach team, and beach is a very hard sport uh, in which, you know, two runs up and down the pitch, you're absolutely, uh, you're gassed, uh, mm-hmm. especially in like 40 degree Celsius weather. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, uh, but it's hot. Uh, sun's beating down you. And so, um, you know, I've been smoking for years, uh, maybe like 10, 12 years, like I mentioned, since I was 18. So um, it's definitely helped. Uh, you know, I haven't seen any negative effects, but again, more research, I think, is needs to be known. And for that question, um, yeah, it's really hard to, to run while you light. But I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I paused. I paused yeah. quickly. I, sacri- I sacrificed 30 seconds of my time so I could pause. <laughs> the, um, you know, I, I think if anyone here, any viewers or any listeners has uh, any research on that, post the links down below in the messages. You know, I, I know people are interested in that as well. Well, I want to thank you again for your time. It was great having you on. I know we're going to talk again soon and enjoy the surfing uh, down there every morning. I'm completely envious. So um, great to talk to you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon.